Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Okay, yep, there we go. Austin Litke, Father Austin Litke of the Order of Preachers, Father John Neppel. Hello. Coming back from our first uh, technical failure of uh, 2018 <laughs> together, which is not saying much because it was only our third podcast. Father Austin just recorded a rather brilliant expose on Penthos, of which I failed to properly set up the soundboard. And no, something's not working. Something's not working, but now we're... Oh, there you are. Now, can okay. you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Well, it's kind of going in and out, though. Is it going in and out? Uh, this is the thing. Okay, you talk for something. Start quoting some Hopkins or something. Okay. I wonder if I can do anything else. Glory be to God for dappled things. Okay, so we're back at it here, and we're just testing to make sure that this thing is actually recording, because after eight years of uh, doing this <laughs> blasted podcast, it is amazing how we still have technical difficulties. So, Father Austin, I'm sorry. Father John, uh, you know, it's... It's it's all lost to eternity. At this it's point. all lost to eternity. Now we're going to come back in 2019. We're going to we're going to hit it again with Penthos. So that's to keep you. Uh, well, thankfully, it's a topic that you know we can certainly treat again. So I know, but we covered such great grounds. We kind of uh, talked through uh, the experience of shopping in Italy in Advent, and we thoroughly made fun of Father Nathan Goble. We covered so many good things. Not it's not to maybe just as well that didn't go through. Not, yeah, not in the least. <laughs> Plus the profanity that might have needed That's to get. That's true. There uh, was some profanity that happened. That's maybe so. when God kind of smote the podcast. So yeah. I'll take responsibility for that. Okay. And, uh, but here we are. Okay, round two slash one. <laughs> Cheers to you. Happy <laughs> feast day. Companions of Christ celebrating 11 years since their uh, foundation today. And I'm very grateful to be counted amongst their number. Though I must say that... Uh, even after all these years, oh, we have a new thing coming up. Something just we um, still are not living the life. <laughs> so we have a new little icon that's just jumped up. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take three. Take three. Maybe Take this three, time. So, uh, while we're waiting for our, our technician, Father Evan Coop, to come down, uh, we'll we'll just continue to podcast. I'll explain here uh, briefly what what is going on. Uh, so. Uh, not only am I incompetent with a soundboard, but I, uh, <laughs> thanks to Apple iOS 12.1, yep. which is actually amazing. It is good. Uh, I have set new limitations on my ability to use my phone and my computer. Which is a nice uh, kind of asceticism. I love it. I love it. So at 9.30 every night, the computer and the phone kind of, bye-bye. No more texting. No more talking to people. No more sending emails. Whatever. You know, it's over. And You're in your monastic di- digital cave. I'm in my digital cave, and uh, which is great, except when it's approaching 9:30 on a Thursday, on a Wednesday night, and you're with your friend, and you just totally detonated his podcast, and you're trying to record one, and here he is, Father Evan, Father Evan, <laughs> whoever you are, okay. not looking happy to be here a third time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well. The podcast has become even more ridiculous than the last few minutes. <laughs> and we're back again. Now the headphones aren't working. Can you hear yourself? I can hear myself. Okay, now I, I can, can hear, hear you. you. Well, this is all a pathetic excuse to get the one and only Father Evan Coop on the podcast. Oh! Hey. Hi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we were explaining, uh, iOS 12.1 allows you to have a, a really good buddy who uh, sets your limits and controls your uh, your usage which I love having, but uh, all of a sudden it became extremely uh, unhelpful because uh, Father Evan has to hang out here 
as we podcast. Gets to hang out here. He gets to hang out. But um, Father Evan, will you tell us a little about the show you're watching tonight? <laughs> uh, sure. But before I do that, um, what is the name of the administrator on your computer that you, which I am the administrator, and what did you name the administrator? I don't remember. I think I had an idea, but you shut it down. Right, is that what you're thinking of? No, it's actually... It's real? Yeah. What was it? Do you remember? Dad bod. Dad bod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that actually the the name? The administrator? Okay. That has nothing to do with you, man. It's just, you know, <laughs> the dad bod. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you mock me. Uh, but oh, no. Why is the nickname dad bod, though? Because I have a dad bod. <laughs> Oh, Sister Annunciata, um, Olim Becca. Uh, she said I was a dad of daughters, which I took as a very great compliment. That is a great compliment. It doesn't have to do with his corporality at all. I think it has a little to do with the corporality. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a little bit of a gut. I, I call as, it my uh, dissertation bod myself. Yeah, but, yeah. Or as yeah. Father Brian Larkin says, the a wumba. The wumba. Wumba. The wumba. Yeah. The wumba. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I'm watching this show, Operation Finale. Okay. Uh, which is about the uh, the Mossad's um, lo- uh, locating and kidnapping of Adolf Eichmann from Argentina in 1960. Is it an Italian show? No, it was a big Hollywood movie. It's, oh, okay. The main guy is Oscar Isaacs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Ben Kingsley is Adolf Eichmann. Really? So what was it? This week, uh, Schindler's List turned, what, 25 or something? Is it that long ago? So Ben Kingsley is now the evil Nazi, having once been uh, a Jewish person who was suffering from the Holocaust. Indeed. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's that's called movie. range. Yep, that's called anyway. range. No, I think we, you should. I you should. I you and I should just talk. We'll just let Father John kind of sit yeah, this yeah. one out because obviously John keeps reaching for the microphone. He can't even keep the board going yeah. here. So I'll run the tech. You guys just hang out and talk. So, that doesn't you know, sound like a good solution. As much as you guys feel sad that you've never been on the podcast, I would like to point out you were on Bernardi podcast. You know, and uh, all the Bernardi kids will be thrilled to hear that you were. Well, every once in a while, I just delete them on, quote, accident. Yeah, oh, exactly. dang, you know. It's well, not just he me. He makes fun of me, so I just, whoop, oh, sorry. That's the Minnesota thing. Like, my mom, I told you that, you know. Oh, sorry. Regional bias. My mom was cutting my hair one time. She didn't like my beard, so she was using these clippers and, you know, kind of cutting everything, and then, oh, boom, took a chunk of the beard out on accident. Oh, oh. I was like, what? What? Oh, it looks like you have to shave your beard. I was wow. like, Yeah. That's, that's, like, that's a whole thing. new level, I yeah. know. So, All right, well, we better get into it here. How does that sound? While we have Father Evan, though, I think we should uh, incorporate him into this uh, topic. So, Oh, okay, very good. This is way, way, way too much uh, content for a podcast, um, but I'd like to just begin the question, because okay. one of the things we talked about earlier in the last podcast, the, the ghost <laughs> podcast of 2018, which will never, hear. <laughs> which will never be heard, uh, is... Uh, um, the question of how do we respond to kind of the crisis and everything now that we're a number of months out, that things are still happening, but 
you know, the temptation is just to say, okay, we dealt with it, we're changing our policies, we're moving on, everything's fine. What crisis are you talking about? The crisis of the summer, the clerical crisis. I see. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things I'd like to talk about is um, kind of what is, uh, what is the response of, how do we start thinking about the way priests are living? Yeah, because there's a lot of people I read on these blogs and stuff, and I talk to friends, and it's just kind of like, it's a lot of talk of like, just like slogan stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we need more women leadership, right. you know? We need to diversify the power, you know, and kind of all these different things. And you're just like, well, what does that even mean, you know? And so one of the things I'd like to reflect on, which might not be as interesting as Penthos or these other topics that uh, you will not be hearing about, is uh, <laughs> the inner reality of priestly life and just kind of acknowledging some of the facts here and uh, trying to uh, work on that um, in terms of uh, uh, changing things, you know, and uh, kind of like really actually changing the culture. Last night, Father Evan and I, thank you, you did it. That was great. Good job. Dad bod is just <laughs> the man right now. So, uh, <laughs> the um, Last night we were up at the NAC with some uh, guys, and Father Evan and I gave a, a talk together, and uh, we had prepared nothing, but uh, fortunately he actually knows what he's talking about, and uh, I, I can talk. So that's that's a good combination, you know? We it's can, a nice one, too, yeah. It's a nice one, too, so... But one of the things we were talking about is I said, guys, one of the, here's something I'm thinking about. We were talking about priestly fraternity. We were sharing about the Companions of Christ, uh, Father Evan being a, a companion and the main editor of their rule up in St. Paul after uh, Bishop Cousins became Bishop Cousins, and then yourself, who's long, long time friend and uh, understands the vision. We were talking about there's certain kind of presuppositions. There's kind of like... Um, there's certain ways that priesthood is being lived that renders fraternity not possible. Like there's just things that they take away the very conditions that make priestly fraternity available. I think most guys in most dioceses want to live priestly fraternity. I think most guys in most places realize the crisis, uh, the response to the crisis is deepening priestly fraternity. And that means an intimacy, accountability, a vulnerability of life. Most guys want that. Sure. Most people, though, and most guys don't think it's possible. Right. And part of that is because of the culture of the way priesthood is being lived. And, that, and that's one of those things, again, it's like we got to recover the, the conditions that make possible this priestly life and this gotcha. priestly renewal. Does that yeah. make sense? So one of the main things I'm thinking about these days, and have been for a while, and finally had a chance to kind of think and write on it a little bit today, is this notion that I call parochial solipsism. Right. It's a nice term. It's a nice term. He actually liked it too. Usually I get mocked for these, you know, kind of outrageous terms. But <laughs> and right, <he>, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I like this, by the way. Yeah, this, is, this is a bit too much. Uh, this is why we don't do three in a... No, I'm just joking. So, of course, in German, parochial solipsism would be like one word with 14 <laughs> syllables. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write the parochial solemngeschichte of, you know. <laughs> yeah, I have some sort of Balthazarian made-up term. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, sol- are you familiar with solipsism, the word? Solipsism? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a Latin term. Right, meaning? Which means ipse solus, like I'm the only one. The right. Only, yeah. Right. It's, yeah, so ipse uh, and solus, ipse being itself, you know, or oneself and solus being alone. So when we say parochial solipsism, what, we, what I'm describing is the fact that, in the phenomenon, that priests many times find themselves completely siloed in their parish. They're just... Whatever, for whatever reason, they get into it. They're doing it for a number of years, and it just so happens that they don't leave. Uh, they feel like they can't leave, and then they stop reaching out. 
right? Sure. The subtitle that this this fancy parochial solipsism could be called is uh, "Why Your Priest Friends Stopped Calling." <laughs> okay. Right? I mean, yeah. that's basically what we're talking about here. Sure. It's like, why aren't we reaching out to each other? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we calling each other? Uh, and the people of God oftentimes say, "Why aren't you returning our phone calls, our emails, and these things?" Because there's just so much inundated, and there's so much happening in the life of guys that it's hard to all of a sudden find yourself out of it. So I think that pre- uh, parochial solipsism is something that's um, that's just it's a phenomenon that we have to kind of deal with and we have to acknowledge. So does yeah. that make sense? Yes. No. For sure. So it needs to be diagnosed, and then some practical sort of ideas going forward need to be presented. Right. And I have some. When you're ready to talk, I'm just going to, you just like, I'll swing the mic over to you, all right? All right, you're just listening. Good man. So, so um, this all came about because uh, of an idea that Louis Bouillet presents um, about the way that priests govern. And I'll get to that here in a few minutes. Um, but uh, I was really struck by it, and I thought, oh, that's a very interesting thing we need to think about. And so we begin by just jumping into the reality of, um, of parochial life. I would say that it's not an exaggeration to say that three-quarters of the life of a, a, your average parish priest, pastor, is consumed with administrative governance. Sure. You're hiring, firing, you're looking through budgets, you're dealing with the, the, the parish's kind of uh, situation, you know, the physical plant breaking down, these kind of things. This is the day-to-day stuff. There's a, there's a million bureaucratic details that are kind of pulling a guy's life apart, mm-hmm. right? That's just a parish priest. A bishop has this on a on a... Huge level, huge level, right? And as the as the church goes into this period of kind of decline, where we have less and less priests, we have more and more institutional upkeep, um, and we have less and less people. I mean, we're seeing the kind of quote unquote greatest generation passing now, but when the boomers go, then it's going to get crazy, right? right? It's going to get crazy, um, and so we have to kind of look at this and just say, kind of what is what is going on, and uh, how do we kind of deal with the fact that. This colossal task of administration that we're putting on guys who are younger and younger is only pressurized by the infinite demands of the pastorate. I remember one time you said to me, it's one of these great kind of lick, licky one-liners, you just said, I was kind of lamenting over something, and you said, yeah, it's parish life is infinite demand with finite possibilities, yeah. finite resources. And I was like, that's, that's it. Like, you could literally give up exercise, eating, prayer, study, sleep, and still you would not fulfill the needs of the parish. Yeah, I always said, you know, in doing campus ministry at least, it's like, I could be in my office 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I still wouldn't get everything done that is there to do, mm-hmm. actually. So I think that the uh, we, we're just kind of blindly and tacitly assuming these responsibilities that we have to say, is this really what a priest's life is supposed to be like? And, and at the end of the day, when we hear guys say, and I remember saying this myself when I was at this huge mega parish a couple years ago, um, I wasn't ordained for this, right? Yeah. You hear this a lot. Right. I wasn't ordained to do this. I wasn't ordained to, you know, review budgets or do these different things. I'm not qualified. I'm not experienced. I'm not particularly interested in it. I want to be a priest, right? I want to care for souls. I want to preach uh, and sanctify these things. And I think what has happened is um, that we, uh, we end up kind of jettisoning the teaching and the sanctifying and we focus solely on the governance. And that's the three different mooner, we call it, uh, the three different kind of ways that we exercise the priesthood of Christ, uh, teaching, sanctifying, and governing. And what it becomes is it becomes three-quarters governing, and then, you know, the rest of it, maybe like, I don't know, 20% of it is um, 
is your, your confessions and mass, and then five percent of it maybe is just like preaching. Sure. You know? And you do that long enough, uh, and you're going to end up. Uh, you're not preparing homilies. You're not saying anything edifying. You're not building up the people, and you're not actually fulfilling what is the obligation. You know. Yeah, and your own kind of self understanding what the priesthood is then changes. It turns into this much more kind of functionary way. And right. so, like you know, we were talking about earlier, uh, there come to be these arguments about you know what the priesthood is, and it's like, well, why do you need priests at all? Why can't you just have lay people running the place, or why does it have to be male only, or why do you have to have all these other kind of sorts of training? when it's actually just this sort of functionary job. And so um, it actually has huge implications about even the church's self-understanding about what the ministerial priesthood is all about. (laughs) Here I am. Um, Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um, I would say, well, none of us have had the experience of being a pastor. True enough. But uh, (laughs) That's why we can talk so authoritatively about it. (laughs) Um, But I would say... Uh, in a sense, though, you were ordained for that. It, we do have to maintain that that the, you know the kingly office is part of the the, uh, the priesthood, and that there actually is a theological foundation and and a spirituality of governance and administration. I mean, administration. This is one that gets lost of all the charismatic gifts, you know, tongues and uh, <laughs> prophetic words. One of them is administration right? Uh, from St. Paul. So it's actually a charismatic gift. So it has, it has a, a worth. Um, but, I, no, I agree that it um, often gets reduced to just mere functionalism, becoming a, a, a church bureaucrat uh, or, you know, kind of a church worker. Um, and I'm feeling a need. Uh, as a as a priest, and someone's got to do this, so might as well be me, mm-hmm. kind of thing, and it ends up uh, devouring most of most of a priest's time. Well said. So I think that the uh, the average layperson in the pews is seeing this and is saying, "Yep." And what I'm about to say is going to make sense for them, um, which is, uh, okay. So Father spends the majority of his life basically being a small business owner who's running a staff and running a, and running these financial things. Uh, but instead of leaving the office at 5 p.m., he then starts his evening shift, which is appointments, programming, things. I mean, this is when people are actually available, right? Sure. So if you're a good priest, you're not going home and watching Netflix at night. You're actually out. In the, <laughs> you're, you're watching, watching, you know, uh, Nazi documentaries or whatever you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I no. Think... I, well, come on. You know? All right, no. make your point. I make your point. Sorry. So... Uh, the uh, um, then you end up doing the evening thing, and then you got to get up in the morning and do the sacramental thing, and then go to the office and then start all over. Right? You know, so it's like this is like uh, the the functionalism. Uh, if priests define themselves by what they do and they think that it's only a job, that then it, it's problematic. So, um, so I think that the uh, yeah the answer is we have to deep deepen in the identity. You anticipated something, Father Evan, about um, I'm gonna get into it for a second, but I think that I would just like to point out. I'm gonna try and do this as quick as possible. Three different things that I would say are the origins of parochial solipsism, where priests find themselves siloed in their parish. Three new contributing factors, and then Bouillet's response. How does okay. that sound? Ready? Number one. This is one of the the three origins, and you guys can say you can throw the the flag up and say I don't know if that's true, you know. But uh, the first origin I would say is a misunderstanding of Christian sacrifice. 
So priests kind of, you can get into this kind of heroic thing, this kind of like muscular Christianity of like, I just have to die to myself, you know, and mm-hmm. just kind of like do it. And uh, I came across this very interesting quote, and I'm going to see if you guys know where this is from. Love consists in giving up one's personality, all that is his. It is the supreme sender, surrender in the other. You know that's from? There's no way you'll know this from. <laughs> Bhagavad Gita. Kind of sounds like that. I would be amazing, amazed if you knew this. Beyonce. You got it. Yeah, Kanye West. <laughs> that is Hegel. Really? Hegel. Love consists in giving up one's personality. All that is his, it is the supreme sen- surrender in the other, other. And so the point of that is to say that when Aquinas talks about the Holocaust of self and the councils and the way that we give ourselves, and then the church's whole tradition around pastoral charity being the gift of self in the priest, um, it's the sacrifice, but it's this Hegelian thing looks a lot, it sure. looks very similar. Surely. Right? It's just like you just got to die, just empty yourself, just completely annihilate yourself in the parish. Uh it, it it looks to me like you dissolve, you get kind of dissolved into the parish, you know, you just kind of disappear. And uh, it just takes you away. You get kind of afkahobend, I guess is the Hegelian word, into this kind of dialectic with the parish. And it's like, that can't be right. Uh, the Was that, yeah. I think he's afkahobending right over there. Yeah. Are you afkahobending? <laughs> so, um, uh, so the question then, of course, becomes, what is the parish about? Is it really about the place where the priest makes the supreme holocaust of self? It's like, no, it's about the holocaust of Jesus, right? The sacrifice of Jesus being represented. That's the point of a parish. Right. And that's the point of our priesthood. It's not primarily about me finding a place where I can give of myself. You know, that's, that's where it becomes a bit too kind of egocentric and I think can even border on this kind of weird Hegelian thing. So when I say we have to re-understand Christian sacrifice, it's not primarily about ourselves, but it's about... Christ's sacrifice being represented, and we participate that in that, and we represent that in a very specific way as priests. Yeah. Stunned you. No, that sounds right. I mean, so, yeah, it, you're taking one sort of errant idea of sacrifice, and you're saying we actually have to uh, reposition it relative to the sacrifice of Christ, and that the parish has to facilitate parishioners, but also the priest's participation in that in a properly understood understood order, or it turns into something quite different. Absolutely. Yep. Good. Number two. Uh, this, I'm sorry this is so formal, gentlemen, because uh, it, this is actually an interesting topic. I'm just boring us with it. So, sorry. Um, Father Evan and I are just Alf Cahobany. <laughs> <laughs> you like that, huh? I do, actually. The, uh, the second origin, this ties into what Father Evan was saying, was uh, um, parochial solipsism is rooted in a false equation between the munera of governance and the charism of administration. Oh. So every priest is given this munera, this duty it's to munus. exercise, this munus, this duty of exercising his uh, priesthood uh, in governance. So pastoral governance is a, is, a, is a legitimate part of the priesthood. It's distinct to holy orders, to the priesthood of Christ. It's not for everybody. It's given. But that's different than what Paul, Paul talks about in, is it First Corinthians 12? The charism of administration, mm-hmm. which is different, right? Right. So I think a lot of times we equate the two. We think that everybody has, everybody who's uh, governing, every priest knows how to administrate. And it's like, well, I don't know if that's uh, necessarily the case, you know? Surely. Um, and the gift of administration is not just for priests, I think, if I'm not mistaken on this, you know? 
that the charism oh, yeah. of administration could be given to lay people, right? Oh, I think we have to say that. Yeah. Right? So I think Bouye is trying to say, when we, when we reflect, because part of the whole kind of debate right now is really about like, you know, the hierarchy is just too isolated. It's too kind of corrupt. We got to just kind of break everything up. And it's like, well, it's all there in the beginning. It's all there in Corinthians. And Paul's kind of explaining these things. And it's in the tradition. We just need to kind of stay faithful to it. So I think that if we just acknowledge that pastoral governance of a priest is a much broader and deeper thing than just the administrative job and that the priest might not be a good administrator, that's, that's okay. We don't have to kind of equate the two. But it doesn't justify kind of bad administration in a parish. Yeah, I would say, let's say the second part without saying the first part, though. It's like, we should look at a priest, and maybe he doesn't have, say, native natural gifts of administration, nor has he seemingly been given the charism of administration, but if he's been ordained a priest, part of ordaining someone means that we actually think they're capable of doing that, and he might just need to have to develop that somehow. And obviously, some are better than others at it, and so those are the guys you look to to be pastors or bishops or whatever like that. But um, I think, like you said in the second part, it's like we can't let each other off the hook and just kind of say, uh, you know, he's just not a good administrator. It's like, well, sorry, you're a priest. You have to be good. Right. That's like saying he's not good at celebrating Mass. So it's like, well, too bad. He's right. a priest, and that's what he does. Right. And so we have to kind of challenge each other and kind of say, okay, if you don't have the native capacity for this or if you're just not naturally good at it, that doesn't excuse you. It actually requires more of you to develop this somehow, um, even outside of a consideration of the, of the charism. Right. So, I do think, though, that we have a really limited kind of bureaucratic vision of governance. When we think about a guy running a parish, a priest running a parish, we think of he better be awesome at responding to emails. Um, I'm thinking of my companion brothers today who hate when I send them emails. It's like, it can't just be the kind of angsty millennial response to this stuff, which I do say, it's funny, and this is, Father Evan's going to edit this thing tomorrow and he's going to scratch out all the kind of angsty stuff. But sure. I said, you know, millennials, we've been we've been uh, forced to wear this, this uh, scarlet letter E for entitlement. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's true. Like, we just, we're just the entitled generation, you know? And it's like, well, that's kind of it. But I, I see millennial guys going really hard. And yeah. in some ways, they're, they're in worse shape because they're not survivors like the older generation they're just not kind of doing it so it's like they're 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 drowning yeah they're drowning in the administration and i think it's a weird line between how do we encourage each other but also acknowledge like you know this this is not the same exact thing that it's a deeper the the munus is different and deeper than just running an awesome operation you know which is kind of what we want in the united states so yeah i have to say like in my formation i'm just trying to think did we have like a sustained, I don't know if you guys did in, within seminary, uh, Dawson Seminary Formation, but do you have a sustained kind of meditation and sort of practical explanation about what admit, what being an administrator and what, um, yeah, what that munus within ordination actually requires of you? No. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I don't think it happens anywhere is my point, actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some practical training, but right. there's, there's not a lot of uh, theological reflection on... You know the, the priest kingly office and the the priest as administrator. Yeah. So like John, as you're talking, I'm talking like, I, what's the content of actually what we're talking about? You know. No, it's a good it's a good question. I I was going to say, well, first of all, uh, if the audience doesn't know this already, Father John's love language is email. That's right. That's his love language. If you respond within 45 seconds of him sending you an email, no, no, he he will feel <laughs> extremely loved. So that's how he receives love. Is that how he right. gives love as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
No, but um, I was just going to say, in terms of, I agree with what you're saying, Father John, about um, what does administration really look like? Is it is it the guy who's sending all the emails, or who is, um, you know, personally readjusting uh, the, the the parish flyer about the, you know, the fish fry? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think it has to be considered more broadly. Uh, someone like a St. John Vianney, hmm. um, he did not have parish council to right. go to. <laughs> uh, he was not filling out balance sheets, uh, but he was exercising a real kingly office uh, in his parish. And not that we can just go back to that, that era hmm. uh, of the priesthood, nor that we can all be St. John Vianney, but uh, I think it has to be it's part of the kingly office to be able to delegate well, True to enough, be able yeah. to recognize the charisms uh, of the people around you and to recognize someone who has the charism of administration uh, and entrust that to them. Uh, that's part of what it is, uh, that that uh, royal munera. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Munus. The munus. My love language is uh, words of affirmation, which I never <laughs> receive. <laughs> So just to put that out there to my friends here. So, um, Okay, Father Evan, I'm going to kick this back to you in one second. Um, the third origin of parochial solipsism. This is an exceptionally boring podcast. I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, I'm, I promise I'll make this end quick. But I think this is so important because I'm trying to communicate uh, what I see as like a real crisis, which is like really good guys going into the parish, um, and they're just, they're just not... They're not thriving, and they get isolated from the brothers, and the, these reasons are happening. And this third one is probably the most shocking uh, one, but we, we talked about this a little bit last night, Father Evan. That's why I was hoping you could maybe circle back on it. Um, number three is uh, when a priest develops a codependency with the parish. Yeah. Right? So all of a sudden, it's like, it's not just like you're working your butt off to get the needs met, to, to, to get the emails sent and all this stuff, but... You are getting your needs met. You you actually need this. You need to be needed by the people, and um, something in you is being is kind of being felt, and mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that's the real solipsism. Because then it's like, well, I can't leave. My people need me, right. and it's like you can come have dinner with your brother priest. Yeah. You can call somebody. You can leave your parish boundaries. Uh, no, no, no. They they I I actually love my people, unlike you guys who are just running around with your friends. And it's like, no, you're. You're getting something else met here, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I agree, Father John. Um, the kind of the phenomenon that I have seen uh, in, in parishes relates to, yeah, a priest who is is so dependent upon the affection and the affirmation of his people that he can no longer relate to them freely. Yeah, uh, from uh, seeking their authentic good, which includes being able at times to to say difficult things that you know may not be received well. Um, that it, it, it this kind of need for the people's affection can actually become destructive uh, to the the spiritual good of the parish. Um, sure, because that's not what the people are looking to you for, right? Either, and I uh, and I think it really is can be like a, a parent who is is dependent on the affection of their 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 child, right. and and ends up um, being incapable of doing anything of saying no, um, you know, uh, and that that can be a, an aspect of of uh, how priests exercise their ministry in many parishes is um, just they're dependent on the affection of the people. Yeah. 
Very good. So I think that the uh, um, of these three things, they keep causing this weird culture of parochial solipsism. They're isolating guys in the parishes, uh, and again, it you're a, you're a regular parishioner and you're seeing father, and he's looking totally haggard and run down, and uh, maybe getting needy. It's like this is why it's happening because yeah. uh, this is unhealthy, right? So we're going to skip the second section, and uh, I'm just going to share one fact, uh, and then we'll go into the final part, which is. What does Louis Bouillet, one of the great writers, I think, of the last century, have to say to this, and what is his proposal? So, but, but Father Austin, being a, the erudite one that you are, what would you say the average parish size in the United States was in the year 2010? Parish size? Mm-hmm. A number of families? Individual registered parishioners. Average in the United States in 2010? Yeah. <sighs> I know it's a tough question. Well, I come from a real rural diocese where, like, you know, a thousand families is the biggest parish by two times we have. So, mm-hmm. my scope is a little different. How about I'm going to say fifteen, uh, twenty five hundred people. Okay, that's a good guess. Uh, Thirty two seventy seven. Wow. Okay. Average parish size is three thousand two hundred and seventy seven people, operating at an expense uh, average operating expense of six hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Thirty percent of which are operating in a deficit. And you're managing an average of 10 full-time lay people. Okay. This is one priest. Yeah. Right? One priest. Um, so you got 3,300 families in your average American parish. What, what's shocking, though, is that that's up 45% from the year 2000. Hmm. So what's that's happening because of parish closures? Then? Consolidations of parishes. Okay. Right? So we're not creating new Catholics. We're just redistributing them. Okay. But we're we're creating these uh, bigger mega parishes, and we're just we're moving to it. We've been moving to a different model for several decades, and so priests are getting bigger and bigger demands put on them. There's less and less of us, and this thing is kind of just continues to kind of grow asymptotically. Is that the right word? Ooh, nice. <laughs> I used that show with my hand. So so as there are fewer people. Uh, the priest has to take more has to take care of more people. Exactly. So again, all that that just numbers that's from the CARA report in 2010, hmm. the changing face of US Catholic parishes. So these this is some serious stuff here we're talking about. Okay. Let's get down to something actually positive though. So Louis Bouillet, I came across this little paragraph uh, which I'm going to read to you and uh, we'll just talk about it briefly and then basta così. Do you right. think people know who Louis Bouillet is? Louis Bouillet is a uh, guy who was born in 1914. He grew up Lutheran in Paris. He became a Lutheran pastor, but then in 1932 became Catholic, uh, joined the Oratory, so he was a secular priest, but not a diocesan priest. Prolific writer, very influential at the Second Vatican Council, um, and just I, a guy that I've just been working on for the last few months, and I, I think he's a very, very uh, perceptive and profound thinker, very creative, and uh, he's, a bit, uh, he's a bit combative, too, and I like that. He kind of okay. just kind of goes after it. But he wrote a book called The Church of God, uh, which is a large uh, volume, worth reading, but rather it's kind of extended. But here's a line that he had that I think ties directly into this experience of parochial solipsism and the problems we're facing with pastoral governance in the parish. Here's what he says. Those functions of, quote, material governing, which so often occupy three-quarters of the bishop's time and too much of their priest's time, financial cares, construction, maintenance of buildings as such, and the material details of even authentically charitable concerns do not belong to the proper domain of bishops or priests. Okay, let me say that again. Material governance does not belong to the proper domain of bishops or priests. Properly, they are the task of deacons. 
It was only after the practical disappearance of the diaconate that bishops and priests found themselves more and more immersed in these matters, often at the point of drowning in them. As long as there are no deacons to fulfill these tasks, this lack is one of the first things to which bishops and priests should turn to free themselves and give them as much as possible to laymen of goodwill. So what Bouillet is effectively saying is that the way we are approaching governance is not something that was there in the first five centuries of the church, but it was something that went when the diaconate kind of declined in the West, it stayed in the East, uh, it got assumed into the priesthood. But the material dimension versus the spiritual dimension of governance, pastoral governance, uh, is not proper to the bishop or the priest. The, they should not be worried about budgets, hiring, firing, doing these different things. Theirs is a spiritual governance, which again, if you think of like a body and a soul, it, it, we're not delegating all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're not just handing it off and saying, well, we have nothing to do with the, the money or these things. The, the, in canon law, the priest is still acts in the person of the parish, right? right? He's responsible for the goods of the parish. But the way that his day-to-day life operates, I think we've got to hand this off. We've got a lot of deacons. Um, your dad, my dad, you know, before the stroke especially, uh, your father's working in the parish you know, or in the uh, diocese. diocese yeah. yeah, I mean, we have, there's a lot of qualified laymen who have the experience, the skills, and the desire to effectively work f- within the governance of the priests uh, and to free them up. And I think it's a it's a kind of a radical thing to consider. Uh, it's going to take some balancing uh, and some nuancing. You know, we don't want to just hand it off, but I, I think that uh, Bouillet is striking to something here. And I was really intrigued by that. So basically, um, that pastoral governance is proper to the priesthood, but that the material dimension is really proper to the diaconate or to uh, laymen as well, and especially in a time of such intense uh, bureaucracy, we need to really look at that again. What are your thoughts? Well, there's no denying, I mean, historically that, like um, Father Bouillet, you know, says that, you know, within, say, up until like the 6th century, um, say between like the 3rd and 6th century, basically, deacons were kind of the bishop's right-hand man and took care of the temporal affairs of the church, particularly with the distribution of money and resources to the poor. That was kind of one of their primary jobs, actually, um, outside of sacramental worship and that sort of thing. Um, I think the question had to be asked, like, well, wh- why did that disappear? And it just gets subsumed into the priesthood and the episcopacy that way uh, in the West, and, and say uh, a sort of artificial reintroduction of the of the diaconate like we had after the Second Vatican Council. Um that is, it was just kind of reinstituted. It wasn't, I'm not saying artificial in a bad sense, okay? Pache to your dad's, okay? Uh, but just to say, it, it was artificial in the sense that it was just reinstated, you know, without any sort of organic development of it in that sense. Um, it, it's been it's been in search of its own purpose, as I'm sure y'all's dads can uh, attest to, actually. Um, and say, so, is this the answer to it? Or is there a reason why it kind of died out, not died out, but kind of changed in its... Um, Institutional. So I guess my thing would just be like a big question mark and kind of say, um, historically, obviously, it's right. Um, is this really the kind of the panacea to kind of figure this out, though? I guess that's that would be my hesitation when I first hear it. Yeah, no, I... I first of all, I, I'm glad you clarified, you know, deacon or layman, because uh, many people think of deacons as uh, glorified laymen, yeah. uh, which they are actually clerics. Yeah, ordained, yeah. And I, am I being too quiet? Okay. Um, 
<laughs> no, I, I, no, I think it's a, it's a, it's an interesting proposal. Um, you know, is that something that is? I don't know. Is that something that's uh, doable in the modern age? Uh, the diaconate who was lived in a very different way in the early church. I mean, mm-hmm. these were by and large celibate uh, men. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I think it would be... I, for one, as a priest, many priests uh, seem to uh, seem to kind of resent uh, the deacons in their parish as a kind of... Um, I don't know that they're kind of stealing part of the priest's job. Uh, hmm. I, for one, I would love to have uh, as many deacons as possible around in a parish, uh, especially if they're well formed. But to give them real things to do, you know, which doesn't always happen in sure. my experience sure. as well. Exactly. Yeah. No, so I think the problem is a real one. And I mean, especially if you look at the apostolic origins of the diaconate, I mean, why did the diaconate come about in the first place? Was to take care of of the Greek-speaking widows who weren't being taken care of. And that, that is, there were these practical concerns that were part and parcel of the gospel and the early Christian community, but that the priests felt like they were neglecting certain essential parts of their life, that is, the apostles, um, in taking care of those practical affairs. And so they found worthy men to give those practical affairs to in a sort of ordained and ecclesial ministry, but so that they could ded- rededicate themselves to those things that were essential, that is, the prayers uh, what was it, the prayers and breaking of the bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the ministry of the word. And so um, obviously there's something you're kind of tapping into in the very apostolic um, creation of the diaconate. And that would have to be kind of thought through exactly how that can be reinstated now. Yeah, I, I would agree with your your kind of initial hesitation on like, is the diaconate really in a place to be able to do this? And there there needs to be kind of a maturation, I think, because yeah, it was just so yeah. it was so just boom introduced. It's just like now you're back, and it's like, but deacons are frustrated. I know some guys. We got some super talented uh, deacons in Denver, and I'm sure you guys do in your local churches as well. And it's like these guys. I mean, basically, their pastors like. Um, if you don't piss me off, I'll let you hold the chalice at the 11 o'clock mass <laughs> on Sunday. Like that's, that's not that's very as good as it gets. Probably not the best use of a deacon, you yeah. know? And it's like, this guy was in the business world for 30 years and he knows his stuff and you're, you're dying. Like you think right. you're holding it together, but it's such a great paradox because from our perspective as companions, the fraternity is what creates this different way of relating to the parish mm-hmm. and to the, the diaconate. So like deacons, at companion parishes should feel like different. There's just a different kind of communion. There's a there's a kind of a, a trust, kind of a vulnerability, a kind of a collegiality um, that is just not. It, it's not always there. You know, sure. it can be there, but it's not always there. Uh, but if you don't free up the priest, he's not going to be able to experience that with his brothers. Yeah. So that's kind of the the tricky thing. No, there's a parallel in religious life. I mean, you know, Dominicans, for example, in the United States, we do a lot of parish parochial ministry. And so even though you might have a priory of six or more friars at a parish taking care of the place, you often have the one or two or three that are kind of the parish priests, and then the other guys are doing other things in the diocese or something. And there's often uh, a tension between how much are we kind of subservient to the local parish life and how much can we live our own conventual Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. within. So it's the same dynamic, frankly. Um, It's lived out a bit differently that way. And I can say... The, the best situations are where there's a healthy, conventual life. Um, 
where you certainly have a pastor and his vicars, maybe depending on how big the parish is, um, but they see their conventual life as actually preparing them for and uh, contributing to how they live that parochial life, as opposed to in an unhealthy situation, which is like everything is subservient to the parish, you know, uh, office is canceled, a certain other observances are canceled just because the parish has something else going on. It's right. like, this never works out well, and right. it's actually deeply resented, and rightly so, because there's this other reality that should be being lived out that's being canceled out for maybe something that's, um, I wouldn't say less important, but extraneous to actually the religious um, observance that should really be kind of primary. I think that's that's directly tied to what we're we're talking about as companions and, and trying to kind of rebuild priestly culture. So, yeah, the questions are there. We have to keep talking about them. You guys, this is a nice little pre-Christmas gift, little Advent gift. To, thank you for talking about this. I'm sure most of the listeners, I can just imagine Anne Lacoco was gone after about minute three. <laughs> it's like, like well, Especially the fourth time we started the podcast. Hey, you know what? Thinking, that was just kind of... All right, these guys obviously... JV had, squad tonight. Had too so. many beers at um, hamburger and fries night at the Casa. He's not sold on the hamburger fries night, I don't think. So, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. It's, you know. <laughs> that's basically a four-letter word where we come from, right? Oh, yeah, interesting Minnesota. Yeah, that's bad news. Yeah, yeah so. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, you got a shout-out, Father Evan? <laughs> Does he even know what shout-outs are? Do you know what shout-outs are? Go ahead. Father Austin, you got one? Aufbehung. Aufbehung. <laughs> Aufbehoben. Oh, wow. Aufbehoben. Aufgehoben. Oh, Aufgehoben. Yeah. That means lifted up or assumed up into? Yeah, it's the participle. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, of course. It's the participle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is hard to hang with you. I agree. What's yeah. your shout out? Um, let's see. Gosh, I kind of used them all up on the last podcast, which will never be heard again. So uh, let's see. Uh, Zach Galante, um, seminarian for the Diocese of Milwaukee, and Emily Dalski, uh, former Bernardian as well. They both emailed after the last podcast we did, so if these ever see the light of day, just to let them know that we're still thinking of them. <laughs> Father Evan? Oh, that's me. Okay. Uh, I'd like, today is the, we're podcasting on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, so I would like to give a shout out to my former uh, parishioners in the Hispanic community of Church of Risen Savior in Burnsville, nice. Minnesota. Que viva la Virgen de Guadalupe. Que viva. Que viva. You want to sing some mañanitas? I guess it's too late now for mañanitas. I'd like to give a shout out to my brother companions who today celebrate the 11th anniversary, especially those who are pastors who are going to be lividly <laughs> pissed when they listen to this. Exactly. I, we were joking earlier. How I was like, you. doing this podcast, I'm really happy to do it with Father Austin because <laughs> any of the guys back home they'd be like, we hate you. It's like if Goebel wrote a paper today about like academic diocesan priesthood, how dysfunctional it is. It's like, yeah, you're going to hate me, but that's okay. Um, but I, uh, the pastors are the ones who are going to make this happen. You know, uh, I really believe that, that uh, we, we think about these ideas and we try and communicate them as best as we can. But the guys who are really on the ground, who are uh, in the trenches, who are making this happen, they're the ones who I think uh, are going to creatively bring these things into being. Our job is just to kind of study the tradition, study great men like Louis Bouillet, and uh, hopefully kind of bring some some ideas uh, to the parish uh, for the sake of uh, priestly renewal, but also for the parish as well. And for those of you who survived this kind of arduous podcast, happy Christmas, as the birds say. Or Merry ha- New Year. Happy Natale, as an Italian <laughs> said to me uh, yesterday. 
Fröhliche Weihnachten. Yeah, yeah. Weihnachten. So, uh, yeah, so this is it for, um, for 2018. And uh, we will be back in uh, 2019. Father Evan, thank you for joining us tonight. This was a great, uh, great gift to us. Uh, a yeah. great joy. A great joy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the new year.